Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Hello, Greg. Good afternoon, Mr. Brett. Lots of weather, as they say in the states. Weather is on our way, on the way. Yeah, of course, it's the weekend. Others and there's there's always weather, but this is active weather. Keep it locked here. We'll bring you the bad news if it uh, materializes for the city of Winnipeg. It seems to be happening to the west of us, though. Yep. And uh, we have already had a couple of phone calls in the newsroom inquiring about Nitro Circus Live happening tonight at Investors Group Field. Is it going to happen? Is it going to be postponed? So we have not been told. I mean, as far as we know, it's going ahead. But if it were to be postponed, we will let you know for sure. Because that uh, a lot of, I'm sure that's going to be a busy night. Lots of families, lots of kids excited, I'm sure, to see that show. It looks fun, man. So Reed from Nitro Circus was on his way to Calgary. They've got a show in Calgary. I think it's tomorrow night or maybe Sunday night at McMahon Stadium. So uh, the idea of being able to press pause on that show is probably not too large. They will want to get that show in, if at all possible. And keep it locked here, 680 CJOB. We'll keep our eyes on the sky for you. Three o'clock. Speaking of storms, oh. at three o'clock, I am so excited to talk about this. The Winnipeg Thunder. Boom, boom, Remember boom. the Thunder? Of course. Oak and Ore is a shop at the Forks in the Johnston Terminal, and they are releasing on Saturday, June 17th, a very limited amount of new, brand new Winnipeg Thunder t-shirts and Winnipeg Thunder hats if you're wondering, what's the Thunder? The Thunder was a pro basketball team in the early 1990s in Winnipeg. They were here for three years before everything finally folded up. But, man, that was an exciting time for me. I was a teenager, huge into basketball, so for us to have our own team was pretty cool. And now there's some brand-new merchandise, because I had a T-shirt, but, I mean, it's... I think I actually might still have it in my house, in my apartment, now that I think of it, somewhere in a box where it's one of those, like <laughs> I've had it so long that if I put it on, it might just disintegrate. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have, I have an entire tote of t-shirts that are in that exact same condition. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that the, the thunder were here for a short time. We lost the jets, of course, in 96, but there were a lot of people who lamented the loss of professional basketball in Winnipeg. They were super popular. It wasn't the team that didn't do well. It was the overall league that they were in yeah. that suffered a financial crisis. Winnipeg was kind of the flagship franchise along with, I think, the Halifax Wind Jammers, if <laughs> memory serves me correctly. Memory, yeah. And uh, Saskatchewan so, Storm. Oh, that's right. Well, they had, uh, there's a, there are a couple of legacies that endure. We'll share those with you later on this afternoon. And you can see why, when you look at that logo, why Mark Chipman really wanted to call the Winnipeg Jets the Manitoba or the Winnipeg Polar Bears because there's something really cool about a polar bear. Yeah, it's a, the the Thunder logo. As you, if you don't recall, is this angry, aggressive polar bear holding a basketball, and it just looks cool. They had their mascot Kaboom, mm-hmm. who was a big polar bear. That's right, Duncan Polar Bear. He was great, and we'll we'll tell you where he is now today as well as we make our way through the afternoon. Dr. Cyrus will come. We're going to talk about gambling, the psychology of gambling, and I've always wondered if it's more, quote-unquote, exciting in terms of our physiology to lose than it is to win. Is the losing more addictive than the winning? Interesting. So we'll ask Dr. Cyrus about that later on this afternoon.
Have you ever succumbed to the will of Gamblor? I used to pray at the uh, Devil's Television once upon a time when uh, those awful VLTs came to Winnipeg. They were awful. They uh, did not uh, encourage me to save any money. Let's put it that way. And I used to justify it by saying I was paying my taxes or what have you. I had about a six-month stretch there where it was a big part of my life. And I don't mind sharing that story because I know a lot of people go through that at one time or another. And I don't mind sharing that at all. It's 20 years plus behind me. But I remember what that was like to be uh, really addicted to that style of gambling. Well, I look forward to hearing your story. Sorry you went through that, but glad to hear that it was only six months and that you got control of it before it became a year, two years, the rest of your life. Before we get into our next topic, which is weddings and specifically uh, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, should we give away some prizes before we do that? We need to do this because you need to be able to come and pick these tickets up before 4.20 this afternoon. I'm saying 4.20 because... We lock the doors. In fact, it may be an automatic door lock that happens at 4.30. So you need to be able to be here by 4.20 this afternoon to pick up tickets to see the RCMP musical ride. It's happening at Assiniboia Downs. We've got four tickets for you. And let's make it really simple for folks. Okay. Eighth caller through. Wham. 204-780-6868. Caller number eight. Going to see the RCMP musical ride, which is happening this Sunday. In the meantime, you want to read the text or should I read the text? You're so much better at reading than I am. Please read it. Should we name the person who sent it? I don't know. If- I don't think he, oh, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep it. Yes. All let's, right. let's keep it to ourselves. Well, well uh, if you're listening, you, you know who you are. So thank you for sending this text message. And it reads, how do I justify going to a friend's stag party when the organizer has set up a day, which starts with a round of golf, then a beer tasting tour, then dinner, then bar and playing pool at the end of the night. The entire day will be like 300 bucks. Am I an unhappy person (laughs) for not wanting to spend the money for an all day bender? I think that's a great question because there is pressure now to organize these blowout parties for the bride or the groom and if you if you can't participate for financial reasons you feel kind of bad so you, maybe you overextend yourself and then you realize oh well i had budgeted 300 and i spent 400 because <laughs> what happens if is as he pointed out an all day bender you make bad decisions your decision making <laughs> skills tend to disappear as the evening goes on. I have no idea what you're talking about, Brett. So, like last year, I organized a bachelor party. I was the best man. And I didn't want it to be super expensive, but naturally it ended up being super expensive because right. it was, I wanted to my wanted my buddy Mike to have a great day, so it was a round of golf, and then we, we uh, went to an escape room, and then dinner, and then we went to a bar, and... I'm sure I spent 400, 500 bucks. I wanted it to be maybe 300, but I spent a lot of money. So it's not just the bachelor or bachelorette party. You have, if you're in the wedding party, you have the tuxedo or the dress. And if you're renting a tuxedo, well, that's just a one-time rental. If you're in the wedding party as a woman, 
and you have to buy a dress, either A, they're so <clears throat> unattractive, the dresses that is, that you're likely never going to wear it again, or it's so expensive uh, that you have to really consider. I like when the bride says, hey, here's the color scheme, get what you want, get something that you'll wear again, but that's not necessarily all that common. Mm -hmm. So you have that obligation. In Manitoba, we do the presentation thing. So you've got that obligation. You've got time. You've got the day before. You've got to get your hair done. You've got to get your makeup done. I mean, it adds up really quick yep. when you get asked to be in a wedding party. And it's a super huge honor but not everybody is on. There's that Friends episode where they talk about the idea of going out for dinner, and they I guess they have this habit of they just split the check six ways. <laughs> yep. And, of course, in particular, Phoebe and Joey say, we don't make as much money as you guys. Yep. And I think Rachel's in there too, right? And so it's really awkward for us sometimes when we go down that road. Well, you know, just because you're friends doesn't mean you're all in the same economic strata. And we got a text message out from Amanda, who's already weighed in on this, and she says, absolutely not. If you want to make festivities that expensive, then you should be willing to kick in a portion of the cost or don't expect people to want to show up, especially considering their wedding presents, travel arrangements, etc., etc. Weddings and bachelor parties are getting absolutely ridiculous. People need to grow up and enjoy the moment, not the money. Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. I would point out that when I organized this thing last year, I, I was abundantly clear with everybody. Look, if you can't make it to all of the festivities, don't feel obliged. If you can't afford to participate in all the festivities, don't feel obliged. I like it. I said like this is this is going to be an onerous expense for me, but I'm the best man. I got to step up and do right by my friend, and uh, I kind of <laughs> kind of hurt for a few weeks financially, but. Uh, yeah, so if I, I like, I would never have any expectation that everybody show up and participate, even if it was the wedding party. Like if I was the the groom and someone in my wedding party said, "Look, man, I can't, uh, I can't afford all this stuff," I'd say, "Hey, I just you just be there on my on the day, the big day. As long as you're standing beside me, that's all that matters." Yeah, it's a it's a quandary for a lot of people. Which way to go? You have quite often now these pre wedding trips. Or the bachelor party, yeah, we're going to do it in Vegas, or we're going to Nashville, or we're going to Kelowna, or what have you. And clearly, if you're having these kind of parties, there is an economic vein that you live in that might not be the same as everybody else's. And just because you're in that circle doesn't mean all your friends are able to buck up. And it's, it's kind of lousy when you have to be the guy that says, yeah, I'm not going to be able to come. That, that's just out of the realm of possibility for me. Eh, it could cause a little bit of a divide. And what about the idea of weddings on long weekends? Oh, boy. I mean, that's considerate, I think, on, on one hand, for people who have to come from out of town because then they get that extra day. If you're, you're, you've got friends coming from southern Ontario, as an example, for your wedding, uh, it's nice to give them that extra day, that extra travel day perhaps, or that so that they don't have to take a holiday day. But for people who live in this part of the world, those long weekends are super precious. I like you a lot, Brett, but if you're getting married on a long weekend, I'm going to RSVP, but guess what? 
there's a chance I'm sending you a check for my meal. I may not eat because if the wedding ends up being on a beautiful Saturday afternoon and it's looking like it's going to be a couple days and nice weather, I, I might have to go somewhere else for the long weekend. 204-780-6868. Many questions to ask of you, so feel free to weigh in on any one of them. Is or Have you ever had to decline uh, some of, if not all of, the costs that are attributed with being a part of a wedding. So not you're not the bride or groom. You're part of the wedding party, or even just someone who's been invited to the bachelor or bachelorette party. Have you had to say, no, sorry, can't afford it, that's too expensive? Or have you simply drawn a line in the sand saying, I'm not going to spend $400 for your stupid bachelor party. I'll meet you at 9 o'clock when you go out to the bar. 204-780-6868. Also... Weddings on long weekends. Is it good or bad? 204-780-6868. We'd love to hear your voice. You can also text us at that number, and you can email gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com. I have to ask Jeffrey Forche if we got a winner. I know we got a winner. Oh, we got a winner. For the musical ride tickets. Who's going on Sunday, and can they make it down here in time? Lois Braun. And she said she can make it down here. Fantastic. Congratulations, Lois, you and your family going to see the musical ride. Or maybe you're taking some friends. Maybe you'll uh, end up going for a party night out afterwards as well. I'm Greg. He's Brett. 204-780-6868 is the number to call and the number to text. Your forecast is up next. 123 on this Friday afternoon. You made it to your weekend. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. We're asking you about weddings, the financial obligations and the time obligation. Uh, inviting your calls and your texts at 204-780-6868. Kale has been waiting patiently at Kaylee. Pardon me. Forte, you got to learn how to spell, buddy. That's not how you spell Kaylee, Jeff. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Kaylee is uh, on the line. Blame it on my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Kaylee's mom and dad. Yeah, Forte is is exonerated. So it's spelled C-A-Y-L-E? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, our apologies. I was just trying to be have some fun with our producer, and uh, I ended up just being a rude (laughs) jerk. So hi, Kaylee. Thanks for calling us. Hi. What What would you like to say on the subject of weddings? You know what? I... I struggle a little bit with the cost associated with weddings. I think there's such a high expectation of what the bride and groom need to spend. And I don't think it's necessarily fair that the bride and groom also expect everyone in their wedding party to pay for expenses that they want to incur in order to have a huge fancy wedding. Um, When my husband and I got married, we paid for the tuxes, we paid for the dresses, we paid for all the expenses that were necessary like right now you look at weddings and they have a social and then you have a bridal shower and then you have the wedding gift and then if you're in the wedding party you have to pay for the tuxes or the dresses or and these brides sometimes get out of hand and they want like a couple hundred dollars spent on a dress and then you're expected to give a good wedding gift as well and I just think yeah it just gets to be a bit of a money grab and it's more showy for them and not so much thinking about, well, this is also a day that I would like my friends and family and everything to be able to afford. And I don't know. <laughs> Kaylee, what uh, you say that you and your now husband uh, paid for the cost of your bridesmaids dresses and the, the groomsmen's tuxedos. Yes. What did that run you? 
a couple thousand dollars. Wow. That, you know what? I wish if I could go back in time, I would like to have done that as well. Uh, that is well, a, that is a great thing to do, Kaylee. Well, I just think we have an expectation of how we want them to look on that day. And if you expect someone to come to your wedding and you ask them to be in your wedding party, you're also, you can't ask them to pay what you're willing to pay for your own wedding. You want your day, you have an idea of what you want your day to look like, and you shouldn't expect others to have to foot the bill for that. Well, now, if you're asking the groomsmen to, if they want to buy a suit, I think that's an entirely different story as well. Then, then they get a suit out of the deal, right? And it's a little different than asking the bridesmaids to buy a dress that they're never going to wear. Well, Kaylee, we're about to run out of time, so I'm just going to say Sorry. thank you. No, no, I, no, my goodness. Thank you so Great much for calling call, in. Kaylee. Call and, anytime. Uh, I commend you, by the way, because, you know, that's it's it's uh, it's thoughtful for one. And uh, kudos to, for, uh, to you for spending the money. It's, uh, it's an expense that a lot of couples simply would not be able to absorb. So good for you uh, for for being able to do it. Well, we cut costs on other things then, right? So it's all as to what's important. Would you rather have them in your wedding party or would you rather have a big elaborate wedding? Kaylee, good for you. Thank you so much. And sorry for uh, for making a wisecrack about the spelling of your name. <laughs> no worries. I never get called by my actual name. So. Right. Thanks, Kel. Right. <laughs> Kaylee, have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks. Danny, uh, stick on the line. we got to pause for Global News. And feel free to give us a call at 204-780-6868. Text messages are starting to come in. On the cost of being associated with a wedding. Is it too expensive to be in a wedding party? 204-780-6868. Global News is up next. One thirty-four Friday afternoon. Give you a heads up. Vacation alert. Brett McGarry will be away next week. Keith McCullough here Monday. Tristan Field-Jones the rest of the week. So you may want to alter your listening patterns entirely next week as Brett will be away. I know you've got a golf day planned Monday. I'm golfing Sunday. Out at, I'm going to Maplewood in St. Pierre-Jolie on Sunday. And then on Monday, I'll be heading out to Lac du Bonnie for Granite Hills. And then, uh, I will, and then I'll probably spend the rest of the week at Kingswood in LaSalle. Fantastic, man. Weather permitting, of course. Hopefully the weather cooperates. Well, I will miss you like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Greg mentioned that. He said uh, to somebody on the phone, I miss you like crazy, man. And uh, I started, immediately I sang, I miss you like crazy. And I had to dig up. Yes, what? you did. Who sings that? And it's Was the it, Moffats. The Moffats, yeah. The Moffats. <laughs> Remember the Moffats? Yeah. They had a little song called I Miss You Like Crazy. We're talking about weddings and the incredible burden that they can cause not only on your wallet, your credit card, but also on your calendar. There's more than one event typically tied to a wedding. Uh, Jackie and I were somewhat guilty of it of, uh, ourselves, so I apologize to everybody that was involved in our wedding for putting these onerous expenses on you. I, I didn't think about it at the time. I should have. And now I'm feeling bad about it. Got a great email here. We're getting lots of text messages, but uh, Danny's waiting patiently on the phone, is as we tell you. We love when you're willing to call in and share your story in your own voice. Phone calls get precedent here on Mackling and McGarry. Hi, Danny. What's up? I would wait for you guys forever. <laughs> okay. You're so kind, Danny. So sappy. Okay. You know, it, it's funny. Um, I, I've helped. I've done a few weddings and always try to keep the bride and the groom on point and remind them that, you know, uh, 
it, it while it's going to be your day and it's going to be awesome, you don't really want to grab, you know, go through people's wallets and stuff. Um, but I found in the last two weddings that I was involved in, I found that it wasn't so much the bride as as much um, demanding things as it was the maid of honor mm. to the point where she wanted, like, you know, the, the latest thing now is actually when you do uh, pick a dress, it's common to just all have the same color, but wear something that's more flattering to the individual opposed to everybody wearing the same thing and it looking like uh, an addition of what you should not wear. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, and this one bride, she was like, you know, wear what you want and just do the color kind of thing. And the maid of honor was so insistent. No, we all have to match. We have to. And finally, it was like, you know what? It's not your wedding. <laughs> and every time we turned around, she was demanding certain things. And, you know, she's a doctor, so she does have a lot more money than the rest of the other girls. But, you know, they've got money, too, but they'd like to put it in a nice gift, not spend it all on the so-called Let's have a big weekend outing and all that stuff. Let's keep that for the movies. And if you want to plan something that's grandiose, maybe go to a campground, do like a weekend or something like that. But to sit there and I expect, as I was in one of the other wedding parties, my very first wedding party, uh, this bride didn't give a flipping who what you were doing. It was all about her. She wanted you to spend as much money, spent three fifty on a really disgustingly hideous dress. And then she expected us to buy her, like, a microwave Dutch oven at the time, which was, like, uber expensive. And she just kept going and going. And I was just like, I'm, I'm living on my own. I don't know where I'm supposed to get this extra cash from to give it all to this, you know, little prima donna. So, yeah, it, it was hard. But, you know, nowadays I'm finding with some of the brides and grooms that I've been helping out, you know, we really do stick to the budget. And I try to remind, remind them, like, that's great that you want to do this, but you have to think of the pocketbooks of everybody else. People are working, they're going to school, their families. Do you really want to put them in debt for your day? And then next month, they don't know if they're going to be eating or paying their bills. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a give and take, you know, but when you've got a bride and groom that are considering people's pocketbooks, um, I love that. There's a reason why we welcome your calls on this program, Danny. Uh, great insight, great commentary. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye, boys. Behave. Right. We'll do our best. I'll try not to. Uh, <laughs> thank, thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Uh, text here from Faye. Weddings are ridiculous. It's great if you find your soulmate. Good for you. I'll happily come for a meal and to watch the festivities, bring you a check or a gift and wish you well. The way we are doing things these days is overblown, especially when the average marriage is lasting five to ten years. For a young couple just starting out, helping them out with some cash or gifts is nice. For established adults, get real. The idea that getting married somehow entitles you to demand your friends and family spend between five hundred to five thousand dollars on you is absurd. When we got married, we J-O-P'd it in our living room. Justice of the peace. We J-O-P'd it in our living room and had a small dinner at a local restaurant a few weeks later. There's no reason for all the fanfare. We are just as much in love five years later as the couple who spent 100 grand. Faye, thanks for that insight. Again, Faye comes through. Uh, Faye had a good text. uh, Strong take. Strong take. Here's uh, from Anonymous. Okay. And when you hear the email... 
you'll know why they're anonymous. Uh, you can send an email either to uh, Brett, Brett at cjob.com or to myself, gmac at cjob.com, just weighing in on the wedding situation. My very good friend is getting married and asked me to be in the bridal party. I was overjoyed. Between the shower, forgot about the shower, yep. shower, shower gift, the social, the social gift, the destination bachelorette that she asked for. Oh, boy. That we're paying for, question mark, and have to take time off work for, question mark. The bachelorette gift, the dress, the hair, the makeup. Every one of us bridesmaids has dished out over a thousand bucks for someone else's wedding, especially with socials. The wedding party runs it. Why do... None of those contributions go towards our dresses or suit rentals. I just think it's all gone too far. It shouldn't be a burden to participate in something like this. And there shouldn't be a financial bar you have to surpass either. A wedding shouldn't be and shouldn't cost anyone any money aside from the people getting married. That's not what it's about. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Or text, and that's an email to gmac at cjob.com. You can email me, brett, at cjob.com. This conversation, by the way, was triggered by a text message that came in earlier this week, and it quite we followed it. the advice. It says, maybe a topic for another day. So we saved it. We wrote it down immediately for Friday, and we said, this is going to be a good topic for Friday. So the text reads, how do I justify going to a friend's stag party when the organizer has set up a day which starts with a round of golf, then a beer tasting tour, then dinner, then bar, and playing pool at the end of the night. The entire day will be like 300 bucks. Am I a jerk for not wanting to spend the money for an all-day bender? And to you, if you're listening, I say, no, you're not a jerk. And if you were to say, listen, I will come for this or this, but I'm not coming all day, I can't afford it, or I simply don't want to spend that much money, I don't think you... I think it's entirely within your rights to say no, because... Like I said, I organized a party just like this last year, and I told everybody who was invited, come to whatever you can. And if you can't, if you don't want to spend the money, that's okay. You're, <laughs> no one's going to have a problem with you for that. And if, if, if I were the kind of person who did have a problem then with that, then I would hope that you would have the good decency to tell me to go to hell. I was going to say uh, slug you, but nobody's stupid enough to do that. Uh, Terry says we paid for the tuxes and the bridemaid uh, dresses. Plus, with the dresses, my wife designed them so that they were reusable. They looked like an evening dress, not a bridesmaid gown. My wife's dress was also designed to be usable again. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Terry, at 204-780-6868. We've got all sorts of weather situations happening. We'll take a pause. We'll update the forecast for southern Manitoba when we come back and more of your commentary on weddings. The financial burden, not only to those evolved directly, the bride and the groom, or the bride and the bride, or the groom and the groom, but to everyone involved, it can be very onerous on your pocketbook and on your calendar. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Hope you're having a fantastic Friday afternoon. As the best guests of my life, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Friday afternoon. We're joined now by Tristan Field-Jones, our severe weather expert at 680 CJOB. We mentioned the fact that there is a thunderstorm watch in effect for southwestern Manitoba. Tristan, what is the status of those storms and 
are they moving in our direction? Yeah, we have, uh, just taking a look at radar, we have two systems right now. We've got one that's between Portage the Prairie and Brandon. That one's heading slowly eastward. That one's probably not too severe, heavy rain, maybe some gusty winds, that sort of thing. The bigger one to keep an eye out, uh, and this is right around the Manitoba-Saskatchewan border, uh, are these more powerful storms that are forming. Basically, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the atmosphere right now that's creating these good conditions. And Environment Canada, not too long ago, actually mentioned the possibility and even some reports of tennis ball-sized hail. So put that into perspective. Now, some of those storms are slowly moving into southwestern Manitoba. Whether or not they'll maintain that intensity is yet to be seen. If you're asking for the Winnipeg area, though, I think those more powerful storms, based on what our friends, our global weather specialist, Adriana Jung, was saying, and some of what the forecasts are saying, the more powerful stuff for the Red River Valley won't be here until later tonight. But it is still certainly worth keeping an eye out. Uh, to see what's going on. And and for the record, by the way, those storms, like this line of storms from between Brandon and Portage La Prairie has been part of a system that's been ongoing uh, for almost 24 hours, originated in southern Alberta. So this is quite the potent system that's coming by. Is that unusual for these systems to last this long or do they usually dissipate and disband on their own? How does that work? Yeah, well, usually what will happen is it's uh, the systems themselves that trigger the thunderstorms can be around for days or weeks even. But when it comes to the actual band of thunderstorms and showers, even though they're significantly weakened now, uh, the fact that they're still ongoing after almost a full day, that is pretty remarkable. We'll keep an eye on this. Tristan, we know you are watching this very closely. We appreciate you as a resource. Tristan Field-Jones in the 680 CJOB Global Newsroom. We appreciate you very much in spite of how we talk about you behind your back. (laughs) Well, that's a nice way to send out our our buddy TFJ. I'm loved. It's okay. Thank you, Tristan. And Tristan's going to be filling in for me next week uh, from Tuesday through Friday. Keith McCullough will be doing it on Monday. Is it going to... Sports Monday? I don't think it'll be a sports Monday, but if we can do it, we just might. If there's justification for it, how's that? And uh, for the listeners, by the way, who aren't quite in on that one, Sports Sunday is on what time? We are at noon till one every Sunday. We are uh, about to enter our sixth season uh, starting in September. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So we've been talking about weddings uh, triggered by this text message from a guy, a loyal listener. We're not naming him because, you know, we don't want to out him in case someone else involved in the wedding is listening. But it was he was saying, look, I don't want to go to this bachelor party that's going to cost me 300 bucks because it's golf, it's beer tasting tour, it's dinner, then we're going to the bar. That's too much money. I, th- I think it's too much money anyway. And uh, that's what he says. And I say, hey, if you don't want to spend the money... That's okay. Don't feel you shouldn't feel obligated to book your whole day around this person. Just go to what you can afford. Lots of obligations in and outside of the actual wedding day itself, and also the obligation to be in town. We talked a little bit about the idea of a long weekend wedding. We have destination weddings that we've barely scratched the surface of. So lots of things to take into consideration, and there are there is some pushback. on this about how grandiose things have gotten and how it's become this extravaganza uh, that is celebrating these couples that uh, these couples uh, that really sounded pretentious I apologize but you know celebrating a marriage uh, in this extravagant way and hey that's all well and good uh, if you can afford to do it I imagine but there are people who are involved who are in the social circle that can't necessarily uh, afford it and it's a it's uh, can be a little bit 
difficult to say, I, I don't want to be involved. So what do you do? You, you know, do your best to dig up the cash. Yeah, because I think that if you are getting married and you uh, you invite people into your, your wedding parties, I think that you should be aware of what that person's financial status is in life and you should plan accordingly. And if you know that your friend will not be able to afford an expensive dress or an expensive suit or whatever, but you demand it, then that I think that just makes you a, a stinky person, quite frankly. Yeah, you out of be, touch. Yeah, you should be considerate to your friends. At the same time, and, and I think this is where it gets dicey, right? Because the bride and groom should be able to have whatever day they want. But I don't think it should come at the expense of your friends. So I think there's a line to be drawn there. There's a compromise. And as we heard from Kaylee earlier, there are people, it's not everyone. There are a lot of people who are considerate. I mean, they paid for their their friends' dresses and tuxedos. I think that's remarkable. And it's something that I would like to do if I were getting married. That would not be a cost I think that I could afford or absorb. But it's something that I would like to do. So at least... It's good to know there are people who do that. You would have a killer wedding social, Brett. So maybe that, man, am I feeling bad now? Why? Ah, because I, I would have liked to have done that. And, and we had a really good oh. social. <laughs> and we could, we could have done that for some of our friends. Son of a gun. But that, here's the thing. There is an expectation, right? If you're part of a wedding party, it's expected that you're going to have to spend 100 bucks on a tuxedo well, or it's a, little, a couple hundred bucks on a dress. Yeah, for sure. And it's a little bit of a pyramid scheme, right? Because if you're in a wedding party, chances are you're going to be either getting married yourself and those that are in the wedding party know each other. And so eventually, I guess it kind of, quote unquote, comes back to you yeah. in a certain sense. But uh, chances are you're getting married once, maybe twice. Uh, but you could be, if you're in the same group of friends, you might be in a wedding party five, six, seven times. So it doesn't necessarily balance out. Here's a text at 204-780-6868. Happy Friday, guys. My husband was a best man at his buddy's wedding, spent big money, and lo and behold, they split after three months. Oh. Needless to say, um, I think it's ha, ha, ha. <laughs> no, I'm no, interpreting no, it, the... No, it's uh, a needless to say, never again. Oh, never did it. Needless oh, to it say, came never... Two text he did messages. It. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> Glenn gave us a great text. I think he wins. Glenn wins the hour with this one. I give a sympathy card and my lawyer's card. <laughs> Glenn, thank you very much for that. Thanks to everybody for your feedback at 204-780-6868. Cottage country weather coming up in seconds. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Friday afternoon. And one of the most fascinating individuals I've met in the last month or so joins us in the studio. And I'm not saying that for the sake of saying it. Dr. Jonathan uh, McGavick joins us here. And he works out of the Research Centre at Clayson Institute at, uh, at Health Sciences Centre, John? No, the Children's Hospital Research Institute of Manitoba. My apologies. And uh, great to see you again, John. I know you're a crazy busy guy. So the fact that we managed to get you in studio is a coup on its own. And for those that have never met you before, or why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown of, of what you do? Great. Thanks. Um, before we get rolling, uh, it's tradition for us to acknowledge that we're on Treaty 1 territory. So that's something that we like to do, acknowledge the Indigenous people that were here before us, uh, Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, Dene communities, as well as the Manitoba Métis Nation. And we're also home to a lot of uh, Inuit uh, families that are here, been displaced, and are now living in Winnipeg. So um, I say that because we're in the era of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. A big part of what I do is with Indigenous communities. So 
I like to lay that out there to start. Um, and what we try to do is uh, work very closely with our Indigenous communities, Indigenous youth, to work on novel strategies to reduce some of the inequities that exist in chronic diseases in these families, uh, particularly obesity and type 2 diabetes. Well, and you mentioned the inequity, type 2 diabetes in particular, there's an inequitable distribution within our population as to who gets affected with this. Ab- absolutely. So on the adult side, for every uh, one settler or uh, Caucasian person in Canada that has diabetes, there are three to five Indigenous people. And in Manitoba, for every um, one person, one child that's diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in Canada, 12 to 20 are diagnosed in Manitoba. So the rates are so much higher here than they are in the rest of the country. And that's why we've dedicated a large part of what we do to that to that issue. Why are the rates so high here? It's a big question. Um, we can't talk about inequities in health without um, talking about the effects of colonization and residential school um, atrocities, the uh, loss of culture, um, and the current system, the inequities in those systems has created um, a lifestyle that Indigenous people are forced to live in. So most people don't think that diabetes and obesity are diseases of poverty, but they really are. So if you take a look at where youth are living um, and the conditions they're living in, they're really living in poverty. Um, they're removed from their culture. They're removed from the traditional foods and activities that they were living in. Um, and then in, in addition to that, there are some other factors that we're trying to explore. What kids are exposed to when they're in the womb plays a big role. Uh, and in addition to that, there are some rare genetic uh, issues that or fa- factors uh, that play a role, particularly in Manitoba and some of our northern communities. What are those genetic roles? Because I think that's that's one that is a good jumping off point for for people because uh, this this is real. This is this is science, and so maybe we can identify with that a little bit more before we we go down the other roads. Sure, and then and I'll give you a bit of a parallel too. But uh, maybe twenty years ago, uh, there was a group in an Oji Cree community, and the Oji Cree people live in remote, isolated, fly-in only communities. They're maybe six hundred kilometers north. Um, there's a large community in Alberta or in Alberta, in Ontario uh, to the west, northwest Ontario, and then on our eastern borders of Manitoba. Uh, a scientist went in there. There were very, very high rates of diabetes in some of these communities, and they did uh, old school genetics to look at people with diabetes, people without, to see if there were any hits. And they came up with this very unique change in one of their genes. That change hadn't been discovered in any other populations. So it's really restricted to that group, and it's a bit of a mystery as to how it got there, but it really affects uh, a number of people living in those Oji Creek communities, uh, and it's starting to kind of trickle its way out of that restricted area as people start to move to different different areas. So, so then when we talk about this, when we talk about poverty, we talk about living conditions and diet and accessibility to healthy food, uh, that is really obviously accelerates the whole genetic predisposition if it's in place. Exactly. So you're living with this gene. This gene causes your uh, the cells in your body that make insulin to make less of it and secrete less of it when you need it. So before settlers got here and before they transitioned into a more uh, Western lifestyle, there was no diabetes. People were living with the gene and it didn't express itself. But then we start looking at the effects of colonization and poverty and the the change in the diet and the change in the lifestyle, and we start to see that gene express itself as hyperglycemia. Um, so if you're living in the old lifestyle, that gene doesn't play a role. But now as you transfer into this lifestyle, you see that. We see the same thing in another high-risk group in Arizona, the Pima Indians. Their uh, ancestors who are living in Mexico have rates of diabetes that are the same as the general population of Mexico. But the Pima Indians living just outside of Phoenix have 
enormous rates of type 2 diabetes and so and obesity and so it's if you're back living in that culture in that way that you were living before the genes or the the other conditions don't express themselves but as soon as we make that switch which leads me down the path of maybe it's important for us to reconnect with some of this culture and these traditional values getting back onto the land getting back to traditional foods that may have a bigger impact than the simple solution of diet and exercise so I mean, this is obviously a, a huge subject in terms of you know you, all these cultural influences that you've referenced. Where do you where do you start? Like, how do you sort of pick a, a spot to focus on to to take that first step to improving the situation? I'll be honest, I, I probably screwed up the biggest by by thinking I knew the answer. Right? I'm I grew up in the North End. I went to Sisler High, um, but I've never lived in Garden Hill, and I'm not Indigenous. So I thought I had the answers because I had a PhD and I thought I was smart. But right now, we're talking, this is what we talked about last week, is we're talking to patients and we're talking to people living in the community. We're talking to kids and we're talking to elders and saying, where do you want us to go? And the first thing they say is we got to acknowledge that a lot of these things are disparities of the legacy of colonization. So that is a really important place for us to start. In my own lab, what we look at and when we talk to youth, poverty, the stigma that comes with diabetes, the mental health the clustering of mental health issues that comes with living in poverty, living with a chronic disease, living in a, in a racialized kind of setting is a huge source of adversity for a lot of kids. And so before we start talking about diet and exercise, we've got to talk about resilience. We've got to talk about how do we make a safer, stronger environment for you to live in so that you can feel like uh, an important person, an important child. And then once we can build that, then we can start focusing on some of those other factors that we know do have a positive effect, like eating healthier and, and getting out there and being more active. So there's a stigma attached. A, uh, if you know you've got diabetes, breaking out your insulin kit or uh, your blood testing kit, there's going to be a stigma attached to that. You might not necessarily want to do that. And the step prior to knowing that you have it, you may be resistant to the whole idea of even inquiring. Even though you may have some symptoms, things aren't quite right, it may be inherent. And this is just my speculation Maybe that your research is bearing this out. You may be uh, less willing to talk to your doctor about the idea that, hey, there might not be something right with me in fear of it being diabetes. Or you got less access to a doctor, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's a big part of it. So for us, um, we're starting with uh, this eye care project. Uh, we've got a great video online. I don't know if we can put it on your website, but... It's the voice of youth. It's a five-minute clip about what their life is like living with diabetes and where they want to see us go as scientists to make their lives better. Um, we have a patient-oriented research network. Uh, Paul Fernie is part of this. It's called SPORE, where we're engaging patients in the process and asking them, what are the experiences? What are the outcomes? What are the things that you want us to do to make your lives better? For Indigenous communities, it's getting better access to care. It's creating resources. Um, and there are some great examples in Toronto, resources that are relevant to their culture. So you can go into a clinic and get your insulin and get your foot care. But if you want to talk to an elder or if you want to go do a, a sweat, that's provided too. So that we recognize that both of those elements are maybe key to healing the whole person uh, rather than just worrying about your blood sugar or your body weight. Dr. Jonathan McGavick is our guest, PhD. He is involved in a research program focused on the prevention and management of type 2 diabetes in youth. He works out of the Children's Hospital Research Institute of Manitoba. Did I get that right? I hastily wrote it down when yep. you said, okay. Yep. So we're going to continue our conversation in a moment. We do need to pause and have a look at your forecast. That's coming up next. 
Dr. Jonathan McGavick joins us in studio. I'm Greg, he's Brett. We've been talking about diabetes and the scourge that it is and the ravageness. Uh, it's really causing a ton of issues in our provincial population. And uh, John, it's uh, no secret that within the Indigenous population, it is it's disproportionate massively to uh, non-Indigenous populations. When we talk about other illnesses, other diseases, other afflictions, we're bombarded by reports that this food can fix that, this food causes that. How do we decipher it all? And is there a, ro- a role for for scientific literacy to play as we try and unpack all this bombardment of, of information that we get when it comes to diet and health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, for me, this is one of the biggest topics that uh, has come onto the side of my desk because it... Uh, it makes my life a lot harder as a scientist when there's bad information that's out there. And a lot of times it gets promoted by people who have a big platform, right? Dr. Oz or Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever. They tell you, you should eat this, you should do that. And then we've got to come back and kind of try to fix it. So one of the big things that we try to advocate to, to the general population is science is there for a reason. And we've made great discoveries that have taken the average lifespan from in its 50s So now people are living into their late 70s, right? And that's because we've made um, huge advances in understanding our own health and understanding why some people get disease and other people don't. But now we're in a state where we got so much information, we don't know what to do with it. And so it's up to you as the reader, you as the listener to say, I don't know if I trust you, Dr. John. You know, you sound great on the radio or I like your website, but I don't know if you're really legit. And so... One of our goals, I think, moving forward is to give uh, the public the chance to take a look at some of the science and judge for themselves whether it's good or bad. There's a great um, picture or cartoon of uh, a guy in the news who's spinning a wheel, like kind of Wheel of Fortune, and on one side it says chocolate, and on the other it's – or chocolate, different foods on one, and then different diseases on the other, and he just spins the two, and (laughs) chocolate and cancer, chocolate and diabetes, or, you know, coffee and cancer, and those kind of things. Um, but I'll give you some rules of thumb. The first thing you should always do when you hear a claim about this is see if you can go back and actually get the information. So statnews.com is a bunch of scientific journalists. What they do when they write a report about a study is they link you to that study, plus they link you to the other studies that led to it. So you can take a look at that for yourself. The second thing you could do is have a basic understanding of the different types of studies that are out there to see whether it was a study that's really good at understanding the cause and effect or it wasn't so good. Um, I'm trying to write that down. Do you want to repeat it one more time for those trying to do the same at home? Yeah, so for this one, it would be trying to understand the study design. So I don't know if I'm allowed to plug my own website, but I kind of gave a, a little uh, blurb on this on uh, on my blog. So my website is com. You are allowed to plug your own website. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, thanks. But I give people a sign. So if you're doing a cross-sectional study, we don't know if it's chicken or egg. But if you do a randomized trial and we randomize you to one thing or the other, that's great science. So I kind of go through that. Um, So that'd be the second thing. So the first thing is uh, go find the study. Second thing, see if it's a good design. And then the third thing, my biggest pet peeve, 90% of this stuff is is in mice and rats. Right. And so you got to know whether it's people. And if it's people, is it relative to you? Were we studying 20 undergrad phys ed students because they're easy to find? Or are we studying someone like you who's living with a condition? 
or at risk for a condition or as a family member. So those three things really enhance your scientific literacy and you can tease out the crap from the good stuff. Uh, Is it also important to, to pay attention to who funded the study? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, my favorite example in there was a study that came out and it hit the, hit the wire, the news wire, about pears. If you eat pears, you're 50% less likely to have metabolic syndrome. And then I dug up the study and I was like, who's doing pear research? <laughs> and there was just existing databases that were out there. There was a small group of people out of 10,000 that reported how many pears they ate. And they compared those people who were pear eaters to people who were non-pear eaters. And it was funded by the pear industry of America. And I was like, shocking. Oh my God. But it hits the news wire, right? And so you don't even, you don't even know. So that's a great point. And if you pull the paper, it's always right at the end that they have to acknowledge that where they got the funding from. So Absolutely. Very good point. Hey, just while we're getting two separate text messages here, traffic is uh, blocked from Leela on South bound McPhillips. There's an accident just south of Jefferson at McPhillips near the Safeway. We've got a couple other text messages here. One from a loyal listener, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, and I know you don't back down from stuff, John. So, you know, um, whatever, happening, whatever happened to owning up to what you do? The song is getting pretty old already in terms of blaming non-Indigenous people for the issues that Indigenous people are dealing with. And you started out our conversation uh, on that front, talking about how reconciliation and, and understanding is a huge part of this question regarding diabetes. How do you answer questions like that? Because it must come up all the time. Absolutely. Um, and for me, it's been a, it's been a long journey and I've had to learn a lot. I grew up in a pretty Irish Catholic household. You work hard if you work, the harder you work, the more you're going to get in life. And so people who haven't gotten where you've got to must not have worked as hard as you did. And if you just pull up your bootstraps, you're going to make it. And I think a lot of people um, have that bias because that's how we were grown up. We're sort of second generation immigrants and and that's the, the character that we grew up in, the culture we grew up in. But the TRC has really asked us to take a look at our power and privilege. Um, and Martin Luther King said, you can't ask a man to pull up their bootstraps when they don't have boots. And I think the Canadian government created the Indian Act and created a lot of uh, structural things that keep Indigenous people down. And as settlers, we need to go through our own learning and recognize those truths. And as we start to understand those truths, we get closer to reconciliation. And so I'm not going to tell anyone what to think, but I am going to say, you know what, go out in, into your community and really learn a lot about your Canadian history. It's Canada 150, and there's a lot of stuff going on on social media on both sides of the aisle. And just learn. Learn a lot about it. And I'll give you a great story that happened to us two weeks ago when we were in Toronto about this. People were really uncomfortable with elders in the room, and there was a smudge happening, and there were prayers and tobacco being passed around. And you could tell that the settlers were like, what is going on here? This is not what I'm used to. But then we went to this, to this healing center. So we got patients living with diabetes who are now in this healing center surrounded by Indigenous people and seeing how the Indigenous model of health is holistic. So they were talking about your mental health and your emotional health and your connection to spirit and how that affects your physical being. And people, settlers, white people are like, whoa, that connects with me because I live with diabetes. And when I see my doctor, I don't get to talk about these things. I don't get the same kind of approach, but it really resonated. And so by the end of the conference, people were like looking up what treaty they were from. And they were looking up a little bit about their Indigenous history and saying, how come we can't get more of that in our, in our world? So I think if we can look into that truth and understand how 
the atrocities Canada has committed are still there and still pervasive. But also look at the benefits and the strengths that Indigenous communities bring to our country, to our diaspora, and we should be proud of that. I think um, settlers, we can move together towards that reconciliation piece. But without acknowledging the truth, it's a really hard step to take. Dr. John McGavick, PhD. We're out of time, I'm, I'm afraid, but uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll definitely have to have you back. I feel like we've just scratched the surface here. Dr. McGavick is, works with a research program focused on the prevention and management of type 2 diabetes in youth. He works out at the Children's Hospital Research Institute of Manitoba, working heavily with the Indigenous community. Once again, his website, johnmcgavick.com, and the other website he mentioned was statnews.com. 2.35, the cloud really rolling in now outside 680 CJOB. Keep it locked here to our radio station. We will get you the latest in storm information. And we know we have huge reach out into the Westman area. And if you can do so safely, we'd love your text messages and pictures of whether you might be experiencing right now, 204-780-6868. Once again, if you can do it safely, you are such a critical part of everything that we do in terms of sharing information so often. It starts with you, the listener, and we appreciate that greatly. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us now in studio. And Dr. Cyrus, i turn off my own microphone here. Dr. Cyrus, thanks for uh, taking time today with us. And uh, I had an epiphany, I guess it was really early this morning that I wanted to talk to you about gambling mm-hmm. and Brett and I were talking about the $55 million lotto max jackpot <laughs> that had a six or seven um, mega millions or max, max millions attached to it. And it's been my observation over the years, and I'm sure the lottery statistics would bear this out in the stories over the years that the bigger the jackpot gets, mm-hmm. the more enticing it is for us to buy tickets. Oh, yeah. There is so much psychology around gambling. There are, like, so many things to talk about. Uh, there are, like, every every casino probably has a psychologist on staff, probably, or at least has a bucket load of research behind it because they are so ingenious in how they set things up. And uh, gambling is probably, I think, is the one, is the first non-substance uh thing that has been considered an addiction. Uh, it just reacts with our brains and and causes addiction-like uh, symptoms. And yeah, like the, the lottery is the one that often people are, you know, flooded with. Even if you don't walk into a casino, it's the one that's the most obvious. And uh, yeah, when they get bigger, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons people gamble. Uh, one of them being, you know, I could get rich, something for nothing. Uh, it feels good to think and dream about yourself uh, you know, being a millionaire and all you have to do is go and and purchase a, a cheap ticket. I think, I mean, the gambler's fallacy is all over uh, gambling. The, the idea being that, uh, you know, it's due or I'm due or if, uh, <laughs> if nobody's won it yet, somebody will win it next. It's I'm more likely to win because nobody's won or nobody's picked that ticket or so then it's more likely to get picked. Uh, all of those things. Uh Kind of, and then there's this, and people call that the bandwagon effect. When these, when these casino, when these uh, lotteries get large, people just seem to kind of pile on. And I think there's a couple reasons for it, but it's an it's an interesting thing. You mentioned the casinos likely have psychologists on staff. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a 
casino in Las Vegas. I'm thinking specifically of MGM Grand, mm-hmm. but they're all kind of like this, but MGM Grand in particular, it's set up like a labyrinth. <laughs> you don't know which direction, like you don't, you can't, mm-hmm. if you have never been there, you have no idea which way is which way. Right, no clocks. Kinda, yeah, the idea mm-hmm. I imagine is because they want you to stay there. Yeah, it's loud. It's confusing. It's uh, it's fun. It's distracting. It's filled with free or or low cost alcohol. Normally, there's a lot of things about a casino, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the studies that have been done on gambling have actually been done in laboratory laboratories, which are uh, well, although the lab in University of Manitoba is a little bit like a labyrinth, I think there's usually nothing con- similar uh, about a casino and a psychology lab. Um, and it's interesting that a lot of the research has been done in these psychology labs because when you actually take people out into the casino, they start to react somewhat differently uh, than when they are in the lab. For example, their heart rates start to skyrocket when they win and lose uh, skyrocket might be overstating it, but you know their their heart rates are more affected by winning and losing when they're in a casino versus when they're in a psychology lab, and so there's a lot of things going on in that environment that I think are made to confuse us, distract us, and impair us, and all of those things contribute to the illusions of gambling and uh, and make us feel like that we have more control perhaps than we actually do. I imagine that they study the effect of the tone of the bells. <laughs> when you win, yes. the color of the machines, the font used, mm-hmm. all that stuff is researched uh, upwards, downwards, in and out. <laughs> and I confess to to Brett, I don't think I'd ever confess this to him, but when uh, VLTs came to Manitoba in the early 1990s, uh, eventually I found myself very attracted to them. Oh, yeah. And uh, for about six months, it was a genuine problem for me. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem was I won the thousand dollars probably pretty mm-hmm. early into my relationship. <laughs> and so I thought I had them figured out, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. There would be nights when, uh, you know, maybe I had 40 bucks in my pocket. I can mm-hmm. turn that into 80. No problem. Mm-hmm. I got the system. Yes. I got it figured out. And unfortunately, every once in a while, the system would pay off. But right. of course, mm-hmm. more often than not, it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. It would send me into despair. It would bother me beyond end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no less than four places that I could pass and stop into on my way home mm-hmm. from work. Mm-hmm. I was a waiter, a little bit of cash in my pocket, <laughs> and to the point where I was lying to my girlfriend at the time about what I was doing with my tips. Mm-hmm. Oh, I put them in the bank on the way home. Yeah, I right. put them in a bank. Yeah, a big red <laughs> bank, not Scotia Bank either. <laughs> and so, you know, the lies and the stories that you tell one another, and it came to a point one day where I was supposed to go golfing with my buddies. Mm-hmm. And well, I had spent all my money the night before, right. and I had to roll quarters and dimes and nickels to put 40 bucks in my pocket so I could go golfing. Wow, yeah. And even that wasn't the end of it, but that right. was rock bottom or yeah, close yeah. to it, that right? Was, that was a realizing moment, yeah. It was, big time. And so ever since, I, I've been very cognizant of the idea that uh, I do not mix with this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who simply do not learn from mm-hmm. their losses. That's do we right. get more, a really long way of asking you, do we get addicted to the losing as much of as as we enjoy the winning? Well, I think it depends a little bit... Um, I think that, uh, you know, we do like the win. Uh, The win is important in the process. We want the reward. However, after you have a relationship with a casino and you win, uh, then the losses become quite dynamic as well in that 
often people will chase their losses. You don't want to lose. And so uh, even though gambling often has multiple, you know, motivations, including entertainment and socializing and things like that, that's often how it starts. And then you end up winning and then you end up losing and then you may lose a little bit too much. And then you kind of get into, oftentimes when you get into the addiction of gambling, uh, that idea of fun or entertainment kind of goes out the window. You're chasing you, that money. And you're chasing the money and uh, you rarely get there. Sometimes you win it back for a period of time, but, uh, you know, the casino always wins. That's for sure. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> Maybe I should have written throw that it in one the talk down. Somewhere. I should have written that down. <laughs> Greg mentioned that he would lie about what he did with his tips to mm-hmm. his girlfriend. Why do we have a tendency to lie about our addictions? Well, I think the, it just speaks to the power of the addiction itself. I think that um, people will uh, lie for lots of different reasons in order to be polite or in order to um, keep their relationships going. We lie all the time, uh, depending on how you categorize it. But one of the big reasons that we, uh, that people lie is when, uh, when they're in trouble. They lie when they're in trouble and when they, when they want something that they're not supposed to have. And uh, so, when people are in a in an addiction kind of scenario, there's sometimes the only way they can get more of what they uh, need so badly at that moment is to lie about it. And so it's just access to resources. Um, and you know, when you were talking about creating a system, I have to admit too that I, in my uh, graduate days when I was playing with statistics and uh, doing and doing that, I came up with my own gambling system. And uh, and theoretically, I thought it was pretty sound. I would just need an infinite amount of money. And uh, <laughs> I was wondering where this was going. Yes, and, and I remember taking it to uh, taking it to an uh, you know an online kind of casino situation where I could where I could play without actually putting any money down, and I was disappointed to find out that everybody had you know starting limits and and, and betting limits, and I was like, well, with these betting limits, and I was trying to modify my system and. And at the end of it, I just realized that unless I had an infinite amount of money and, and no betting limits, then the whole system wouldn't work. Just I, That's all I needed, just an infinite amount of money. <laughs> Sounds like a can't-miss proposition. <laughs> of course, if I had that, I probably wouldn't need to gamble anyway, but whatever. <laughs> you took that word, those words right out of my mouth, mouth as well. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is our guest. He's here every Friday at 2.30, although not next week. Uh, but today, he, <laughs> we're talking about the psychology of gambling. If you want more information on him online, drcyrus.com. Our conversation continues after your forecast, which is coming up next. Hello, Florida. Huh? I'm not a state. I'm a monster. <laughs> no, Lisa. The only monster here is the gambling monster that has enslaved your mother. I call him Gamblor, and it's time to snatch your mother from his neon claws. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Dr. Cyrus is here. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is a registered psychologist, and we're talking about the psychology of gambling. That, of course, was from an episode of The Simpsons where Marge Simpson developed an addiction to gambling, to VLTs. And that leads me to wonder, Dr. Cyrus, are there people who are more prone to developing a gambling addiction, or is it completely random? <laughs> it's not totally random. <laughs> there is a, there is a uh, certain kind of traits that go along with people who 
are more likely to gamble. Uh, particularly, I mean, the one thing that I found, I, I haven't heard of any others, I'm sure there are, is ADHD. AD, attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder goes along, uh, makes people more likely to develop a gambling problem. People with that disorder are more impulsive, the theory I think they have, but uh, it just seems to be one of those associations. So I think that, uh, I think although gambling is powerful enough to potentially affect just about anybody, I think that, uh, you know, those people are particularly at risk. I wonder about the cultural ideals and how they've been modified and and maybe compromised over the years. Because gambling was something we weren't allowed to do as kids. Mm. Uh, You know, the whole idea that maybe you're sitting playing uh, poker for peanuts or that sort of Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. That wasn't really encouraged. And I never played you know, scratch tickets or anything like that growing up. But when those VLTs came mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden they're in every lounge and they're, they're very prominent mm-hmm. and it almost as though it felt as though gambling became quote unquote socially acceptable overnight in Manitoba. Mm. Well, I think that, uh, you know, the governments are obviously, you know, heavily involved in gambling and, uh, you know, in Canada and in the United States. And you see a lot of discussion about the ethics around uh, making gambling so available to people. And I think that they're in this push-pull where they're, you know, addicted, so to speak, to the, you mm. know, taxes around no uh, around that. gambling. And yet still they, they're, they're, they're classifying it as a, an, an addictive substance, so to speak, and yet they are putting making it more and more available. I was hearing that they were discussing putting it straight into uh, hotel rooms. And uh, so, I mean, would we do that with cocaine? I don't think so, but uh, so I, I think that there is kind of ethical things around that. And so, is it a cultural shift, or is it a government, um, you know, deciding that they are needing some more revenue? I think there's probably a few things kind of at play. One of the things, though, that is coming is kind of this poker uh, kind of culture and this idea of addiction of um, gambling being a skill. And some games obviously have more skill to them. Men, particularly, like. Uh, gambling that has an element of skill and men will particularly try to uh, insert skill even into games of complete chance. Um, But sometimes this idea that there's a skill to it uh, can really, uh, you know, especially be effective for men. That's why we see such a prevalence of sports gambling, the Mm -hmm. sports drafts, the DraftKings and all these uh, daily drafts, right? Because, oh, I know better. Yeah. Uh, than everybody else, and I'm yeah. going to prove it, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And there, there was one study just to kind of give you this study. It was really interesting. I thought they, uh, you know, they, with the lotteries, you know, it's completely random, no skill involved, and yet when you give people, like, if you take a small raffle or something like this, and you just hand people random tickets, you know, for a dollar each, and then you take another group and you have them choose their numbers for a dollar each. And then you have these people take their tickets, which they paid a dollar for, and you have somebody try to buy it from them. So you're trying to see how much value do they put on this ticket. And the people who just were given tickets, they didn't get to choose them, they sold their tickets for like a dollar, about $2. They kind of doubled the price. Well, you want to buy my ticket? I bought it for a dollar. You got to buy it for me for $2. The people who got to choose their numbers and choose their tickets sold it for almost $9. (laughs) They did not want to let go of their tickets. Even though they bought it for a dollar, they would sell them for nine because of some kind of belief that I chose the winning numbers. I chose these numbers. These are my numbers. And somehow I have this kind of control. 
And, and yeah, so this, I mean, the list goes on around all these kind of fascinating things where people have these illusions around gambling and the casinos kind of uh, make these rules around complete, like craps, like it's a completely random game. And yet they make these rules around it. What do you mean? I'm a great dice thrower. <laughs> I can predict which numbers are coming up on yeah. those dice. And, and they make it almost feel like a skill. And, and you, you know, when people are throwing the dice, they found that they throw the dice harder when they want a higher number. Almost this idea that they think a harder throw will create a higher... There's a skill to throwing the dice, and harder throws make higher numbers. And then they put on there, you know, when the when the wheel is, t- is turned, they put on the screen, you know, the last six turns got these six different numbers and people are trying to calculate, okay, well, maybe this number's due because it hasn't come up. Or other people are thinking, wow, this number's come up a lot, so it's hot. And when really statistics would say that those screens, the, the last number that came up on that wheel has absolutely nothing to do with the next number that's coming up on the wheel, but the casinos still give you that information to distract you and make it feel like it's a skill. Don't you dare destroy my roulette playing strategy, (laughs) Dr. Cyrus. Double zeros are always due. (laughs) There you go. DrCyrus.com is the website. He is a registered psychologist. We've been talking about the psychology of gambling. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, thank you very much, sir. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cottage Country coming up in 10 seconds. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. I have a question for you. Do you remember the Winnipeg... The Winnipeg Thunder, the River City's first professional basketball team. They made their debut in 1992 in the World Basketball League. That league actually folded before the season ended, in fact. So the Thunder played in a new league after that, the National Basketball League, for a couple of seasons before it folded in 1994. So I was a teenager when the Thunder debuted. I remember being at the home opener, Greg, 11,000 people in the Winnipeg Arena packed for a basketball game. It was electrifying. So the Thunder, they represent this brief, but I think wonderful and unique piece of Winnipeg history especially if you're a basketball fan like me. So imagine my excitement when I'm surfing the Instagram a couple of weeks back and I see pictures of soon-to-be-released brand-new Winnipeg Thunder merchandise. Said merchandise is coming from a place called Oak and Ore, located at the Johnston Terminal at the Forks. The, the owner of Oak and Ore is here to tell us more. Chris Watchorn is his name. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And what inspired this project that you've taken on here, Winnipeg Thunder? Well, first off, great introduction. I'm very impressed. Um, <laughs> you know what? It, it's a weird thing. I, I was uh, so I was probably between six and eight years old when the Thunder came out, so it was uh, pretty early in my life. Um, but I do recall my interest in drawing, and there was three logos that I would draw. It was the, uh, the old Vancouver Canucks, Canucks logo. The uh, skate the, one? Uh, the, yeah, the skate one. <laughs> great one, the Pavel Bure era. Uh, there was the Mighty Ducks one. I, the Mighty Ducks movie had come out, and they had that that duck-looking mask logo, and then the Winnipeg Thunder one. And uh, for some reason, that logo, there was something really great about that logo that I was drawn to. And to me, like as much as that league and experiment was a bit of a failure, that logo, every time I see it, it, it brings back fond memories. I, I don't know exactly why, but I think that's sort of the case with a, a lot of Winnipeggers. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we were talking about this in the newsroom. It wasn't the fact that Winnipeg didn't like to support basketball. Uh, we did a great job. It was just the leagues that they were in and the idea of being either in a development league or a, a non-associated league just didn't work. And mm-hmm. working with other cities uh, uh, just 
the leagues just were not quality and the owners just uh, didn't stick around. So now we fast forward 2017. We've got the National Hockey League's back in Winnipeg, a very popular logo. And is Winnipeg nostalgia, Winnipeg uh, type merchandise as hot as it's ever been? Yeah. You know what? I think um, for us in the store, we, we put out a graphic uh, two or three years ago of the old Winnipeg arena. It was a photo taken. That uh, was yours. It was. Yeah. Just before the arena was knocked down, it was a month ahead of time. So there's a couple letters missing and uh, it's just really neat to see people come into the shop, um, thrilled about the product, but also with the story that, that everyone has a story about the Winnipeg arena from, uh, we had a person who was involved with the demolition, um, two guys who were a little bit older now, but they claim to have taken the letters that were missing from that photo and have those tucked away. Someone who had managed to grab the keys from the building and have those framed up. And then uh, actually a lady uh, a couple of weeks ago came in and uh, she had fond memories. Her her dad used to, to work up top in the arena, so she would get the opportunity to skate down um, on the ice surface some mornings. And he actually fell one day from the roof and uh, passed away, which is a bit of a crazy story. But um the building just had some really fond memories. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. For me, I was pretty young, but I remember the the upper deck, steep stairs, and my dad grabbed me by the, the scruff of the jacket to make sure I didn't bail down that flight. But uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, back to your question, I think I think Winnipeg in general, there's just a lot of exciting things happening for people who are stepping out to pursue their passions. And I think Winnipegers, um, they've always been really good at supporting um, local and taking great pride in, in the things that are coming out of the city. So. Well, in Okanor, uh, in particular, uh, I have just looking at your social media, it looks like you've got tons of supporters. And I have found that in general, that it's it's become this really, uh, like people wear it with a like a badge of honor. You see Winnipeg brands that are distinctly Winnipeg like yours. And uh, it's it's become this like a really cool to celebrate yeah. local brands. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's quite a few of us at this point, but uh, there is something neat to be out traveling or out abroad and, and run into someone who's wearing some Okinawa and there's some common ground that's made and it's pretty easy to strike up a conversation. I Probably a couple times a week, someone comes in and says, I saw so-and-so somewhere. I didn't know them, went up and talked to them and then connected over it. So um, in the grand scheme of things, we're still a, a very small company, but it is, uh, I mean, People still tend to leave Winnipeg, and it's a home base, but they go and explore other areas, and they uh, like to take a little bit of Winnipeg with them. So we got to get back to this Winnipeg Thunder, this yeah. design that's come out. Uh, dare we ask, uh, how did you get the the rights to uh, yeah. produce this stuff? I mean, that's going to be a question that was probably Brett's first question, and my first question yeah. also is like, how's he going to be able to do that? Yeah, yeah. So um, about two years ago, I took the I took uh, Okanor on full time two years ago, and uh, at the time. I'd always, I had sort of a list of projects I thought would be really cool and the Thunder was atop that. So I had emailed uh, Sam Cates uh, pitching the idea because he was one of the the financial backers there with John Lowen. And um, I connected with him and he got back to me actually right away. And, and uh, at the time I didn't quite have the setup of, I guess, suppliers um, to do it properly. So I had planted the seed with him and said, hey, I'll check back when uh, when things align. And this past year, um, it's our five-year anniversary with the brand, or and uh, I just thought it would be a great uh, great reason to put out something like that. So I um, reconnected with him at the start of this year and pitched it, and he said, uh, he said if you think people will buy it, feel free to use it. So uh, I, think, uh, I think there's still quite a few people out there that uh, will be able to relate with this product release. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. How many? So you, you're going to do, I, I saw it's two t-shirts, one black and one gray. Yep. And then the ball cap. Yep. Uh, can you talk about quantity? Yeah, we did. Uh, it's pretty small. So we, uh, for the t-shirts, we have uh, 75 that will be coming out, um, a combination of in-store and online on uh, the 17th. 
And then uh, for the hats, there's 48 pieces um, that will be coming out. And um, yeah, I think we'll, the t-shirts will keep it that way. If, if the demand is great on the hats, we might do a small a small reorder, but um, at this point, there's no plans for that. So Those Winnipeg Arena t-shirts still uh, available? Or yeah. did you run the end of that run? If, you, if you're small or an extra large, you're in luck and we have you. But uh, if you're anything in between at the moment, we don't have much other than some prints. So. Do we need? I guess we need to take a break. Yeah, because I'm champing at the bit to ask about Blake Wheeler and his involvement in this. So uh, we'll press pause and we'll we'll do that uh, after the weather update and the forecast in just a moment. Chris Watchorn is our guest. He is the owner and designer of Oak and Ore, which is located at the Forks. The website is oakandore.com. He's designed a set of Winnipeg Thunder t-shirts and hats, and this will be released in a very limited quantity on Saturday, June 17th. More details after traffic and weather. Up next. Remember Beverly Hills Cop? Or am I like the old guy <laughs> in this room? And the original. But yeah, but the original Beverly Hills Cop, it must have become about 82, 84. 84, and Eddie Murphy wore the Mumford High School t-shirt. And this is a <laughs> high school in Detroit, and all of a sudden they're overrun with orders for these t-shirts because Eddie Murphy has worn them, uh, worn this t-shirt in the movie. Well, I think it's fascinating and fantastic all at once to realize that we are having our own renaissance and our own relationship with our kind of quirky, neat Winnipeg stuff here, and Chris Watchorn is telling us about it. He's the founder, and and he is the uh, man behind Oak and Ore. And uh, you have a T-shirt. We're talking about the Winnipeg Thunder limited release T-shirts and hats coming up on the 17th. But you have this T-shirt that features, if you're not a hockey fan, you haven't got an idea who this guy is. And maybe even if you are a hockey fan, you're going to be asking, why are you wearing a T-shirt with some kid playing hockey? Is that your kid? No, it's not. No, it's not. And that's a question I've actually had a few times, uh, which is amazing. It was, uh, we did a project with Blake Wheeler a couple years ago. And uh, I uh, I don't know why this idea came to me, but I thought it would be pretty hilarious in my own world. I thought it would be funny. So uh, we uh, he convinced his mom to dig up some uh, old childhood hockey photos. And uh, then we had the pick of the litter. And that one was just, uh, that one just stuck out. His hair was just perfectly combed and... Uh, and he had the C on his jersey, which to me at the time, I, I thought, you know what, maybe this could be a little foreshadowing. I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did. And when it did, uh, uh, the response again was it was sort of like this resurgence again on the last few that were remaining. But uh, it's definitely been one of our favorite tees. Maybe not necessarily the best selling one because people have that question and don't understand. But uh, definitely one of my favorite ones to date. I love the quirkiness. I love the honesty behind it all. It's uh, really cool. Oak and Ore, we haven't asked you this question yet. Uh, tell us about a little bit about Oak and Ore for those who maybe are not familiar with your business and brand. Yeah, for sure. I started the uh, the brand about five years ago, uh, took it on full time uh, in the last two years. And for me, it sort of uh, transpired out of the wanting um, to build something of my own. And for me, it sort of uh, ties in with sort of lake and cabin culture. I, I enjoy weekends at the lake and I, I feel like it's the place that I'm often most creative and um can uh, get away from distractions. So, uh, yeah, sort of cabin-inspired. We try to manufacture as much of the product here in Canada as we can. So our T-shirts and a majority of our sweaters are, are manufactured here in Canada. And it, it was sort of just a creative outlet that turned into something a bit more. So, Well, I think it's amazing when you look back on the history. Mondetta, Chip and Pepper, two of the largest brand names ever created in Canada, maybe outside of, of Roots and, and some other ones. But they were prominent brands, not only in Winnipeg, not only in Canada, 
but internationally. So there really is a pedigree here for creating this Absolutely. kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think I have the personality of Chip and Pepper. And if I did, I'm sure I'd be on a whole different level. But uh, those <laughs> guys are, cartoon, yeah, uh, yeah. Those guys had personality coming out the yin yang. And we're, uh, I mean, I still find myself watching YouTube videos of them talking about their brand in the early stages. And they're just uh, pure entertainment. But they, 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 there are have been uh, a handful of success stories in the in the garment industry, which is, uh, I think. Uh, it's really great to see it sort of coming back up on the radar and a lot of local local people uh, pursuing textiles and fashion again. So, well, a- Applause to you, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Chris Watchorn is the owner and designer of Oak and Ore. You can find the shop at the Forks in the Johnston Terminal. Their website is oakandore.com. They're also on social media. I found them on Instagram. they got a couple of accounts there. That's where you can see pictures of the merchandise. The Winnipeg Thunder t-shirts and hats released in limited quantity on Saturday, June 17th at 10 a.m. 75 shirts will be up for grabs as well as 48 hats. New era hats, by the way. Which 47 is hats, I suspect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want uh, I want one of them. Um, with new era 950, is that what it is? It, it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So it's a really sharp hat. Uh, we're out of time, Chris. Sorry we run out of time, but uh, we'll have to have you back somewhere. Yeah, down thanks the road. so much. Uh, we'll have a quick peek at your forecast and sports up next. We quite often... Uh, act on news tips from uh, listeners and uh, those in the community that want to get their message out and so we appreciate getting those you can reach Brett McGarry, Brett at cjob.com, gmac that's myself, Greg Mackling, gmac at cjob.com and today we got an email from Cal Duick and I will just read his email we have just learned from reliable sources that the bulldozers will begin clearing the Parker Forest tomorrow morning Parker Wetland supporters will be there to stand in front of the bulldozers to stop this illegal destruction of the forest. Gem Equities does not yet have a permit to develop the land. By law, they have to leave 10% for parks. We believe that they are trying to skirt this requirement by bulldozing the property so that there will be nothing left to save. Cal Duick sent out that email today. I reached out to him earlier. He joins us on the line now. And Cal, we appreciate this. I also reached out to City Councilor John Orlico and directly to Gem Equities uh, head Andrew Marquez. And uh, I'll read you what he says, uh, Cal. There are no plans to remove any trees on our property until such time as we have an agreement with the City of Winnipeg on potential locations of the naturalized green space area to be protected. You reference that percentage in your email. What leads you to believe that this is happening? Uh, I've had two very good uh, sources that have told me that this is happening. Um, my MLA called me, and I also have sources within Dillon Construction who are responsible for much of the development. So, oh, go uh, ahead, Brett. No, you go ahead. No, that's that's why. So I've got two good sources. There's there's been trees marked in the forest uh, that look like they've been marked uh, for uh, for destruction. So. Well, I, I, I read you uh, Mr. Marquez's uh, statement uh, from me uh, or to you, to me uh, from just, uh, oh, just over an hour ago now. Uh, what, what is your response to his statement? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that what he is saying is true. Um, I'm hoping that this, in fact, is true. But my gut tells me that they may be rolling in there with uh, shredders. I just had another email from somebody else who described the machines they would be using and the timeline. So 
um, there must have been something started. Um, something there is some reason why this rumor is out there, and uh, uh, I think there might be some truth to it. Um, I think there is truth to it. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have this from all these different sources. Now, Cal, uh, we did speak with John Orlico, uh, City Councilor for River Heights and Fort Gary, and he told uh, 680 CJOB, and I want to play a clip for you. It's a short clip. He says, as far as the city is concerned, nothing illegal is happening. Does a developer have the opportunity, uh, uh, because he owns the land, to uh, take down the forest? Um, yes, he does. And then he, he also says, Cal, that they need to leave 10% of the land for parks and green space, but that doesn't necessarily mean they need to keep the forest. So what's your reaction well, to that? Uh, uh, John has been working really hard to keep a specific 10% because it is a grade A natural heritage forest. There's nothing else like it left in, Man- in Winnipeg, as far as we know. Um, and so, but if he moves in and bulldozes those areas, then he can rearrange the development any way he wants. He can destroy the most precious parts of the forest and not worry about having to replant it or to uh, put in parks. As we all know, man-made parks are nothing like wild areas. Um, just for example, today we went for a walk in the woods and right beside the path, there was a, a, a large, beautiful yellow lady slipper. Uh, where else in Winnipeg can you go that has this kind of natural, wild flora and fauna? Uh, I don't know of any other place. Uh, what was that called? Complete, a lady, what was that? A lady slipper. It's a flower. Uh, they are protected. You're not allowed to dig them up uh, or to remove them when you see them. Uh, the yellow lady slipper is not as protected as the white lady slipper. The white lady slipper is an endangered species. The yellow one is not. But the yellow one still has to be left alone. And so we have these kinds of plants uh, in the forest. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of animals that call it home. Uh, we just last week, we saw uh, identified a Canada warbler there. The Canada warbler is an endangered species. And uh, there's fines up to $250,000 for destroying habitat for endangered species. And so we uh, we think that this should be taken seriously uh, and that uh, a unique ecosystem like this uh, should be protected and preserved. Cal, you've pledged uh, to be there in the way if the bulldozers start rolling. Will you promise to give us a call at 680 CJOB if uh, the, the, these these machines actually show up tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, I'll call you. Thank you, Cal. Cal Duick, he has been working hard to preserve the forest. The Parker lands, for those that don't know, uh, south of the main CN line to the east of Waverly and to the west of Pembina Highway. Uh, there is a major redevelopment of that area. It's going to be turned into a residential development and also the uh, extension of the Southwest Transit Corridor runs through that neighborhood and those lands. And so Cal has been uh, at the head of trying to preserve the uh, natural habitat that remains in that part of our city. It is 344 On 680 CJOB, we will have a look at traffic. We will also have a look at weather up next. Had at least one text message. Someone asked, asking about the Blue Bomber game. Yes, 6 o'clock tomorrow. Bob Irving, the voice of the Blue Bombers, will get things underway with pregame coverage. Don't ask me when kickoff is. It doesn't matter. Just tune in at 6 (laughs) o'clock. You'll get all the Blue Bomber information you could possibly need. Hal Anderson is here. Hey, boys, what's up? 
Not much, man. Speaking of the game tomorrow night, I was chatting with Bob today. Bob will be on my show tomorrow morning, uh, sort of teeing up the game. And uh, he, uh, Bob just kind of does what he does, and he does it the best, right? But he was going on and on with me about what he's got planned for the pregame. So I would encourage you to listen for 6 o'clock tomorrow and catch on, uh, you know, up on all that stuff Bob's got planned. It's the only place to catch the game tomorrow night. Yeah, you can't see it anywhere or hear it anywhere. you got to hear it here. And it's the first foray into New Mosaic Stadium, which I've seen with my own two eyes. And? I I grudgingly give Saskatchewan credit when it's due. It's beautiful. Wow. They did a real great job with that yeah. stadium. Cool. They did it right. They did. Ooh, Ernst. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what you got coming up this oh, weekend? Oh, man. Uh, lots of, well, first of all, let me just say Austin Saragusa uh, is off tomorrow, and Clay Young is my news guy oh, tomorrow morning. Oh, my word. <laughs> so it's kind of like we're putting the band back together uh, for tomorrow. So Clay Young will be it's on the show tomorrow. Time machine on 680 CJOB. Yes, right, exactly. Uh, all kinds of stuff coming up. I checked out a uh, – I had a business club meeting uh, the other day. At a restaurant in uh, on Cordon, and I talked with the owner afterwards, Landis Henry. The place is called Saparavi Restaurant. If you go on it, it's uh, Georgian food. So a little Hal's Kitchen on the show tomorrow. Right on. Uh, we'll talk about that. Very very good food. Georgia USA or Georgia no. Russia? Yeah, over there. Yeah, but <laughs> do they really... sell do they sell wine? Yeah, that's actually I did not know this until Landis told me this. But George, he tells me. Uh, they started making wine in that area of the world like 8,000 years ago. And they make it in the, they uh, ferment it in the ground. Really interesting process. He'll talk about that tomorrow. Right on. Uh, so I chatted with him. So we'll have that on the show tomorrow morning. Oh, JD and the Sunshine Band are stopping by. Have you seen these guys? JD and the Sunshine Band? JD and the Sunshine Band. They're fantastic. No. They're a local band. They're actually, they've got several days lined up later on this month where they will just come and perform. The, you, if, basements, wherever. Come on. So they're coming on the show tomorrow to get the word out there because they're just they're going to go around <laughs> and they're going to they're going to tour. And so I'm kind of looking forward to them being here uh, tomorrow morning at about uh, nine thirty. Uh, also uh, on Sunday, I wanted to mention my friend uh, David Horton from Interfusion Media will join us. He's going to talk about the Apple HomePod. You know, if we're going to get one of these, which one do we get? Do we get the new Apple HomePod, which looks like a marshmallow or a roll of toilet paper? I'm not one of the two. <laughs> Or is it the Amazon Echo or the Google Home? Which one should we get? Do they even work in Canada? We'll find out from David. There are so, so many of these home I things know. now. That's the that's where it's all going, man. And yep. I, I heard an interesting rant. It was uh, Meredith on Power 97 saying, do I really need an assistant to turn off my light when I can just reach over and turn off my light? Like sometimes. Yeah, dep- it is kind of cool when you can turn off your light without getting up and turning off your I light. I suspect phone. Hal has one yes. of these personal oh, yes. electronic yeah. assistants. It's it's called a, a coat hanger. I just go, <laughs> I just go like that, you know? You while, I'm eating, while I'm eating my sandwich, I just uh, turn the light on and off several times. <laughs> so you go from the coat hanger to the... Yeah, clapper <laughs> clap to on, <laughs> clap off. Remember that? Oh, the clapper. Yeah. You, this is what happens with technology, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we can do this now, so now we have to do it. It doesn't matter if it makes any sense or not. We mm-hmm. just, you know, we've got to continue to run with this We stuff, do it because right? we can. We do it because we can. Well, they are. They, I mean, it is neat. Yeah, so. it is. Absolutely. All right, Hal All right, Anderson. Boys, thank thank you. you very much. Yep. 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Right on with the Clayman. On the news. Yes. Stand by for news, as Clay likes mayhem. to say. Mayhem. <laughs> Chaos and mayhem. <laughs> One of my fa- my favorite Clay Young moment yeah. ever. 
Uh, for my, for me personally, uh, he was doing a newscast. I don't know. It was the noon news. We were back in the old building. <laughs> yes. And he comes on and he says, Winnipeg police have smashed another marijuana ring. <laughs> <laughs> it's in that drug raid. He made it sound like you it was the biggest thing Route in the world. Route 90 is back absolute in the, mayhem. Back in the, and, and Clay's, Clay is a little more mellow in his older age. Eh? You know, like he's not quite as, as he used to be. But that, of course, was back in the day. That was known as 2020 radio, right? Right. Like that was that, you know, rah, rah, rah. You know, he batted a thousand on his face. The Jay should have this guy. You know, like that kind of <laughs> the stuff. Great right? eight, right? And Clay is just about thirty years late with it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Clay. Yeah, we love you too, Clay. Thanks, right. Hal. Thank you very much, Hal. Got to quickly do this. Forgot to do it. Thank you, Jeff Forte. Wonder Woman passes. We have run of engagement passes. Since we don't have a whole lot of time, let's just do caller number seven. Run of engagement passes for Wonder Woman. Cineplex theaters valid Monday to Thursday, excluding holidays. 204-780-6868. Looking for caller number seven.